series in the book of Matthew for almost a year. And we're still only in chapter 7. <laughs> and actually, if you think about it, uh, we have been going quite slow. We took a little hiatus in the Psalms during uh, our online time, online, online only time, I should say. And we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, a particular section of Scripture, since last November uh, when we started chapter 5. So we've been walking through this great sermon, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher that has ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is here teaching his disciples. He's revealing the great blessings of the kingdom. He's confronting the hypocritical, insufficient, superficial righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's calling out those who fear to a surpassing righteousness, something much more than that. And really what we've seen is the king has come to talk of and describe for us the righteousness of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is teaching about in this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you could say that he's teaching about a righteousness that is required for the kingdom of God. And he's talking about a righteousness and he's describing what the kingdom of God is like. Maybe to just be simple, if I may, to say, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what he's been doing. He's been teaching his disciples, describing, even for us, what the kingdom of heaven is like. But the question we have today that I think Jesus really gets to answer is not what is the kingdom like only, but how do we enter it? Or maybe to say it differently in a, in a, in a, in a, in a different way, but still the same. How does one live? How does one live? How does one enter and experience the reality of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus describes? Or to put it differently, how does one live? Truly live? Because ask the question, how does one enter the kingdom, according to Jesus, is basically asking the question, how does one truly live? And I wonder if some of you here listening this morning or worshiping with us today aren't searching for that in the deepest part of your soul. To truly live. To know life, not just conceptually, but to enter into life. To truly live. To enter the kingdom of heaven. So how does one enter? How does one live? Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, open up, grab your Bible. It's cool to look on the screen, but you know, I'm, I'm a little old school too, okay? So forgive me, it's good to have a Bible in your hand and to hold it and to interact with it. And so if you have one, please do open up to Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to, de to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. 
Those who find it are few. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Jesus says, Enter. First word. Jesus says to us, Enter. He's calling us. He's commanding us to enter. He says, enter by the narrow gate. The question is, enter what? If if a gate is a point of entry, enter by the narrow gate. If the gate is is a point of entry, the question immediately becomes, enter into what? Well, again, we've already said that Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is commanding here for us is very simple, straight to the point. He says, enter the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gate. And before we uh, move into the, to the details of the passage, I can't help but just stop here for a moment. Because it would be easy for us to miss just the wonderful gospel joy of just the simplicity of the opening word. Enter. You see, that's the wonderful thing about what Christ is saying and doing in His work and in His teaching. He's not just describing some concept for us to know intellectually. He's not just describing some idea for us to contemplate. No, Jesus, the King, left heaven entered into the kingdom of this world to bring to us the kingdom of heaven. That heaven and and Christ, God himself, left his throne and came into our world to bring to us, almost to invade our space and time with the reality of heaven. And he did not do that. He didn't go to those lengths just so that we could know something intellectually. He did so that we might enter this kingdom. This kingdom, chapter 4, came. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's invading. It's accessible. It is present. And now what I'm calling you to do is to enter the kingdom. Enter it. What a gracious word to people like the disciples, just fishermen, just ordinary people. What a gracious call it is for sinners like me and you who are sitting here today feeling the weight of our own sin and failures feeling the reality that we do not deserve to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus comes to us and he says, enter, enter by the narrow gate. He's saying, come, I want you to participate in this. What I'm doing in the world is to provide for you access to my kingdom. You, of all people, in the midst of your wretchedness, In the midst of your sin, I'm calling you, enter the kingdom of heaven. Such grace. 
like God wants nothing to do with you. That He's cast you aside. That you're too far gone. That you're never deserving of it. Well, in some ways, you're right. Except for the King that has come to not just make known to you some reality, but to bring you to a place where you can enter into His kingdom. Enter the kingdom of God. What an amazing word to have spoken to us today. Enter. Enter. Don't stay outside the kingdom. Enter. Come in. Enter. So he says enter by the narrow gate. And what is the significance of this? Well, as we're going to see, there are two kinds of gates. There are two kinds of ways that bring about two kinds of destinies. Two. That's it. Two kinds of ways, two kinds of gates, two kinds of destinies that are adamantly opposed to one another. Absolutely different in essence. There are two that are completely contrasting each other. That's why you must enter the narrow gate. And so Jesus is calling us to enter, and he's contrasting two gates, two ways, two destinies, and he's contrasting them to highlight the one way to enter the kingdom. Right? We do that when we paint our homes, like we paint the white trim, like real white. Why? To contrast the color. The white trim highlights, right, the color. So why does one contrast to highlight the essence of one of them? And so that's what Jesus is doing. And so he's calling us through contrast to highlight the one way to the kingdom. And so he's calling us and he's warning us. We don't like, you know, warnings, you know, the stern warning of a parent is often received poorly in the ears of a child. But warnings are gracious. And so Jesus warns us, and he's warning us away from an easy path and a wide gate that is entered by many because it is leading many to destruction. He's talking about a wide gate. There's a wide gate. And he's talking about an easy way. The word is translated easy and hard, but actually the word should probably be translated broad, spacious, kind of roomy. Really wide. Lots of space. Lots of opportunity. Right? The widest way in the world is a 50-lane highway. The G4 highway between Beijing and Hong Kong. 50 lanes. I read a story that at one point they had to merge down to 20. Could you imagine being on the highway? Merging from 50 to 20? You're talking about 50 lane highway. That's why. Lots of opportunity for much traffic. Right? Jesus is saying 
that there is a wide way that leads to a wide gate. There's a, there's a spacious, roomy way that leads to a wide gate. And this way, this idea of the way is often seen as the manner of life. Or if you know anything about uh, Jewish teaching, you, you may even remember Psalm chapter 1. We're contrasting two ways. The way of the wicked, the way of the righteous. The way is this idea of the way in which you live. Your manner of life. Your ethics. How you live. And the Jew is to live according to the way of the Torah. The way of the law. As opposed to the way of the wicked. Right? This idea of this easy way. And so Jesus is talking about a spacious way, a way that allows for much flexibility that many embrace, that's convenient, that doesn't cause too much conflict and restriction in our lives. This way, he says, those who enter it are many. There's a mass entrance into this gate, who walk along this way. There's a lot of flexibility in this way. There's no restrictive, limiting laws or guidelines other than maybe the modern axiom, whatever makes you happy. Right? It's easy. It doesn't cause tension. Do whatever you want as long as it makes you what? Happy. But Jesus is saying that those who live according to that way, the easy way, the broad way, the spacious way, that they, yes, many enter by this, but it leads to destruction. It's a warning. That way leads to death. So don't enter, don't, don't travel by that way, and don't enter by that gate. Many are heading there. It's popular, but let me, let me just warn you, it's leading you to destruction. It's leading you to death. Not life. And so Jesus is waking us up to the reality of a wide way that leads to an eternal tragedy. But he doesn't end there. He's pointing us toward a hard path. A narrow gate that leads to life. He points us down the path to, the, to eternal life. He's saying, enter by the narrow gate. Enter the kingdom. But it matters which way you walk and it matters... Which gate you go through. If you truly long for life. And so he's pointing us down that road. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Right? This gate into life that's narrow, he says. It's restricted. Hard is the opposite of spacious and broad. It's restricted. There's a hand-carved tunnel in China, up in the mountains, hand-carved. Seems like a lot of work. Thirteen feet wide. It's called Death Road. Nobody wants to travel down like that. There's another one in Bolivia that's also called Death Road. It's only ten feet wide. Ten feet wide. Very dangerous. Treacherous. Arduous. Restricted. Nobody wants to travel that road. 
street in Germany takes only one foot back. Just think, imagine trying to, you know, with this COVID-19 wave, trying to get through that street in Germany. It's restricted. Nobody's going there. Isn't there another way? It's restricted. And even as Jesus is highlighting in this moment the restrictive way of the kingdom, some of us are thinking appropriately, doesn't Jesus say in another point, like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right? That, that Jesus in that moment is stressing the ease, the, the peace, the lightness of his teaching. And yet in this moment, we see in paradoxical fashion, he's stressing what? The restrictive nature of the righteousness of the kingdom. That he recognizes it's not easy. All that he's taught, it's not easy. It's restrictive. And we don't like that word restrictive. It seems to, to push on us a little. It seems to cause friction in our spirit. Like, Jesus restrictive? The, the ethics of the kingdom? Righteousness of the kingdom is restrictive? That doesn't seem like the gospel at all. That seems like, that seems like legalism. push back on that. And in some ways, appropriately so, because it's been so abused and misused by some wacky preachers that miss the gospel altogether. But in this moment, Jesus is emphasizing restrictive nature. There's only one way to live. My way. There's only one way. And it's hard. It, it causes conflict with the flesh. It, it, it causes tension in what we might be proclaiming have a propensity to do and how to act. We don't like restrictions. But I think there's still grace here. Because the restrictions, the ethics of the kingdom, could be likened to seatbelts that fade, right? Versus straitjackets that just can pull us. Right? No one denies the, the goodness of a seatbelt. Keeps us from death. But one might push back on a straitjacket that just removes all capability of movement, that only restricts, like there is no capacity for movement. That's not what God is doing in revealing His will and His ways to us. That's not what it's meant to do. It's meant to lead us to life, it's meant to save us from death, His will and His ways. That's what we've seen Jesus teach, right? This, this, this surpassing righteousness that's required for the kingdom, it's penetrating beyond the actions on the outside right to the heart, right to the motive. It calls us to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. It's confronting our hypocrisy. We're told to leave father and mother in other places in the gospel. We're told to deny self. We're told to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It's a call to die and the way to life is Christ's call. And this sense is restrictive. It's not easy. It's not light. And yet this restriction is leading us 
this righteousness that is Jesus the Father is leading us to life. Jesus says, I need I need fire. That's the sad, tragic reality. That only few find this. And that should hit a thud into our heart and soul as we think about the people of this world. As we think about our own lives. Cause for reflection, like only few find it. This is a sad thing to consider. But the wonderful news is that Jesus lays out for us a glorious destiny. That if we walk along the restrictive way, the hard way, if we walk in through the narrow gate, that we find life. We find the kingdom. We enter into the kingdom. So he puts these two gates, two ways, two destinies side by side. And he's saying to us today, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Two ways, two roads, two destinies. But you really only can go down one road, one way, through one gate, if you really want life. If you really want to enter the kingdom, there's only one way. That comes to us in a time in which that is increasingly offensive. This idea that there's only one way to the kingdom. There's only one entry point. There's only one uh, journey and direction. You see, 72% of Americans believe in heaven, according to Pew Research. Right, So there's this idea, this expectation that at the end of one's life, there'll be some afterlife. And 72% of Americans believe in heaven, much less believe in the reality of hell. So there's no confusion there. There's, there's an expectation that at the end of this life, there'll be some concept of life. There'll be some uh, experience of the kingdom. There's no confusion there. The confusion comes in when we start to define what heaven is or how heaven is obtained. Heaven is defined as a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. So 72% of people say they believe in heaven, but they define heaven that way. Yes, 72% of people believe that there is a heaven which is a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. That's the basic belief and understanding and expectation. Is that if you live a relatively good life, that you will be eternally rewarded with entrance into heaven. And then you add this statistic to the equation, that that um, uh, Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life, 67%. It's interesting, like, Orthodox Christianity has always preached the exclusivity of Christ, Christ alone. 
absolute Christians, right? That's been our conviction from day one. Jesus alone. And you hear people say that America is, is a Christian nation. I mean, that, you may challenge that now, but for sure that statistic would challenge it, at least in its pure understanding of how one is saved and how one enters into the kingdom. That I, I read an article about ten years ago that America is more Hindu than Christian because America believes in a pluralistic understanding of salvation that many ways can lead to heaven. They believe in heaven. They define it as a place that people who live relatively good lives go to as a reward, but they also understand that many religions can lead to heaven or eternal life. But Jesus clearly says, enter by the narrow gate. Jesus draws a line in the sand. He makes something that we want to make very gray or put into shades of gray, and he says, no, it's black or white. There's only two ways, there's two gates, there's two destinies. And if you want life, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must go through the narrow gate. That's it. So now the question becomes, what is the narrow gate? Or who is the narrow gate? It's Christ himself. If you're wondering today how to enter the kingdom, if you're wondering today how to know what life truly is, and to experience and enter into it, it's Christ himself. Jesus is the narrow gate. He offers no third way today. He offers to us no other option. It's A or B. You must choose. You must decide. It is placed before you. Two ways, two gates, two destinies. And if you want life, if you truly want the kingdom, you must go through the narrow gate. And the narrow gate is Jesus Christ himself. There's only one way. So let's not bow uh, in submission to culture's creed that many ways lead to eternal life. Jesus says something totally different. Lincoln Duncan says, The Lord Jesus is extending an urgent call for you to join His kingdom in the one and only possible way of joining it. And again, that's Jesus Christ. That's what the church has taught because that's what the scriptures reveal. John 10.9 says this, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and find pasture. If you're wondering who the door is, who the gate is, hear that word. Hear that assurance. It is Jesus himself. He is the door. He is the gate. Look no further. As he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we get there? Who is the way? It is Jesus Christ himself. He is the narrow gate. Acts 4.12, the preaching of the apostles, the very same thing. There is uh, salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hear the exclusivity of that. It is Christ alone. He alone is the way. He alone is the door. And hear the necessity of that. You must be saved. You must be saved. 
It's not optional. You must be saved. So if you want life in the kingdom, you must enter through the narrow gate. Jesus Christ Himself. That's what He's saying to us today. That's what the Sermon on the Mount has not been just describing, but revealing. That it's Christ, His person, His work, His teaching. That is the only way to experience the kingdom, to enter into eternal life, and to rest in the assurance that you will know what life truly is. It is in Jesus alone. simple as that. It's difficult because of human nature, but it's as simple as that. You're resigned to have no merit of your own. You're resigned to say that I bring no works to the table. All of my deeds are filthy rags. Even my best effort is tainted by my jacked up motives. I've got nothing. I give all of my trust all of my dependence and reliance upon the person and the work and the teaching of Jesus Christ. That's simply what it means to enter. To walk through, to say, I've got no other door. I have no other way. I have no other assurance than Jesus Christ. Is that you today? Is that your confession? They may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Knowledge. Kingdom. That's life. Trusting in Jesus. That's life. Embracing Christ. Following Christ. It's all about Christ. He is the narrow door. There is no other way than through Jesus. It means turning away from the other worldly, well-traveled, popular ways. It's walking away from that path. It's refusing all the the schemes and temptations of the enemy that would lure us away, that would pull us away from Christ's way, that would give us false promises and false assurances of more of a different joy. It's, 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 It's resisting that and continuing in repentance. Faith in Christ, repent, turn from your sins, and turn to Jesus. It's about Jesus. And last, I think it's equally important, but often underemphasized. But to enter through Christ means to just not only hear His teaching, but fully submit yourself to it. It's obedience. Faith, repentance, and obedience. Yes. His teaching, His righteousness, it comes to us and it feels in our sinful nature so restrictive. But it leads to life. We obey it. To find life in the kingdom, you must enter by the narrow gate. You must. And Jesus is the narrow gate. Enter through Him. This is of urgent importance today. It's a matter of life and death. 
is that not what Jesus is setting before us? Setting before the world? Setting before all those listening online right now? Is He not setting before us life and death? I couldn't help but think about this pivotal moment in redemptive history back at the end of Deuteronomy. Where Moses, after serving the Israelites for decades, is about to die and the leadership is about to transition to Joshua. And they're on the cusp of the promised land. And Moses is giving his final instructions before Joshua takes over and and eventually Moses dies. In this moment where the people of Israel are awaiting in their understanding of the kingdom, right? God's people living in God's place under God's rule. That's what the understanding of the promised land was. They would go and be God's people in God's place living under God's rule. In this moment, before entering the kingdom, Moses says this to the people of Israel. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. It's as if the new Moses the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to His people on the verge of entering the kingdom, entering into uh, this identity and experience where they are God's people living in God's place under God's rule. Where Jesus is setting before them after instructions about the kingdom and the righteousness that's required. And He's saying to them, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. As Joshua would go on to say at the end of his book, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose. You can't avoid this decision. You must choose life or death. There's no third way, there's no other option. Jesus isn't exaggerating. This is a matter of life and death. Choose. Which way will it be? Which gate will you enter? What destiny will you have? Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Leave with you. Christ calls you. And you sit here and you say, well, duh, I've believed this with all my heart for years. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. You say, man, you told me something I've known my whole life. Excellent. What a glorious redundancy to hear again the beauty and the glory and the joy 
that Christ is the way, that Christ is the narrow gate, and that by God's grace, he brought you to an awareness of that. And you embrace him. Thank him today. that is you, that now you hold within, uh, within, your, uh, within your life a responsibility to not just trust Christ, to not just choose Christ and to enter the narrow gate, but you now have a responsibility to call other people to do the same because it's a matter of life and death. We're talking about eternity here. You say, well, how do I make more money in this life? How do I become a better parent? How do I communicate more better with my spouse? Listen, that is not the concern of the text today. If you want to just be a better person, these messages will drive you insane. It won't help you be better. But it will place before you eternity in the midst of your temporary concerns. It will put before you life and death. And that should raise our awareness and concern of the people around us that are heading down a spacious path through a wide gate to eternal death and destruction. This should waken in us an evangelistic fervency and urgency as the people of God. Parents, listen. I want Silas to be a fabulous basketball player. Me too. So I get him drilled. that will lie to them? Are you instilling in them sound doctrine? Are they understanding the, the teaching of Christ in the kingdom? How much are you praying with them? Parents, point your kids down the path to the kingdom. Point your kids to Jesus. Read, read around a biblical worldview. Memorize scripture with them. Sing in your home. Watch R.C. Stroll. With your kids. That's what we're doing. We watch Scooby. We're ten. We're a team. Maybe today is three, so I feel better about the sermon. Sorry, kids. I know I'm going long, but I can't I can't stop you. Parents, invest in your children. Disciple them. Point them down the way. If you want them to be successful in their career and have fabulous marriages, and you want them to have 401ks, and you want them to break scoring records at their school, bring them and point them to Christ day by day, hour by hour, meal by meal, bedtime story after bedtime story. Point your kids to Jesus. It's your responsibility to do so. Members of this congregation, please, as you hear this call to choose Christ, to trust Christ, to follow the, the restrictive way, Please know that you've been put in the lives of other people to help them do the same. I see the weakness in us because of COVID. It's because of the isolation. 
that we've felt for so long over the last five or six months. If I get one more phone call as a pastor, I'm struggling with this sin. Here's the byproduct of isolation. Here's my marriage is in shambles. Listen, if I get one more phone call, understand this, that without biblical community, without one anothering, the wave, we're off the wave. And God uses members of a congregation as you remember, to, to call you and speak you, to encourage you, to exhort you, so that you're not led away by the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews chapter 9 says. So members, hold this responsibility. Trust Christ, choose Christ, follow Christ down the hard way to the narrow gate and make sure you're calling other believers to stay on that path. Admonish them, exhort them. But if you're not engaged or structured in your life to actually participate in community, then you can't do that. You can't do that. So join a small group. Get in a formation group. Meet one-to-one with another member. Show up to church on Sunday. It's not just numbers that we're counting and putting on a spreadsheet. No, it's about the way. It's about the gate. You've got to connect all those dots. I'm pleading with you. I'm going way over in the sermon because I can't think of anything more important than this right now. It's a matter of life and death. And please, stop driving into your garage and shutting the door and ignoring your neighbors, your co-workers. And I know that many of you are not doing that. Many of you are investing, you're praying for, you're sharing the gospel with. But please understand, if you have trusted and chosen Christ, and you're, you're, you're call other people to do the same. It's a matter of life and death. chosen king came revealing the kingdom. He came to die cheering for us, actually for you. Today as we hear Christ's call, enter by the narrow gate. I pray that everyone here would listen, hear, that they would respond in faith. I pray that they would see the joy of walking in the way down this restricted path of life that leads to life. May they enter the narrow gate, and may they enter into the kingdom of God. I pray that every man, woman, and child in this neighborhood would have repeated opportunity to be informed through the gospel of Jesus because of this gift. Empower your people, each of your children, calling on others to know and respond to Jesus Christ. Keep them from the lives of the enemy. Protect them from the temptations of the world to wander and eventually die. Give us all the hope of eternal life. Lord, we continue to pray for our partners, especially Drake Wright Avon, Pastor Derek Lewandowski. We're thankful for their 
love for us and our partnership with others. We pray today that you would strengthen them for the work that you've called them to. We pray for Derek and Heidi and his family and the rest of his staff and elders, that you would just unify them through difficult days, enable them to grow and to be strong through the midst of this pandemic. And Lord, we pray that you would empower them to call Avon and the surrounding areas to walk through the narrow gate of Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.